Welcome to Side Talks. Podcast time. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? It's like I accidentally activated Siri or something, and Siri was just like, Side Talks is a podcast. Podcast time. Yeah, see. <laughs> um, who are you besides oh, a, a, a virtual assistant on my phone? I'm Rachel Morgan. I'm the creative director for the Sidewalk Film Festival and Cinema. Ah, so you're not my virtual assistant. Okay. I am. <laughs> okay. All right. And I'm Corey it's Kraft. Like something going on in my brain is switching gears. Look, look, this is that chaos energy I was talking about. We're bringing chaos energy to the world. That's what this podcast is about. And it's also Are about cinema. KIV energy? Is that what you said? Well, I mean, now <laughs> I am. Corey, you have gotten off track. <laughs> yeah, what else do is podcast. new? And now, a look at what we're watching this week. So, hey, Corey, what have you been watching lately? Not a whole lot, Rachel. <laughs> Not a whole lot. Um, I told yeah, you, you off mic. you got a big move, right? Yeah, I told you off mic. I, I, we're working to move. We're, we're selling our home. We're moving. Knock on wood. Um, and a whole lot of stuff is going on in my life. So when I have any downtime, really what I've just been doing is watching old episodes of Top Chef uh, because you can't go wrong with Top Chef. But I did uh, squeeze in a film viewing last night that is radically different than Top Chef, uh, tonally uh, and in subject matter. The movie that I watched is from 1983. It's called Testament. Um, Testament is a story about a typical suburban family in a suburb outside of San Francisco whose lives are upended, along with the lives of everybody else on the planet, one assumes, when nuclear bombs destroy all the major cities in the United States. Bummer. And they must um, eke out some measure of survival as radioactive fallout settles around them and slowly poisons them. What it's year was this, this kind one? of movie. 83. So, so, yeah, this is that era of we are going to scare the shit out of yes. every single person in this country. I was terrified as a kid, thanks to the day after, yes. of, of, of a nuclear anything. So the day after was the big television event. Right. Um, and Testament was conceived of and shot intending to be a television movie too. But Paramount executives saw it and liked it so much that they thought it deserved a theatrical release. And it ended up being something of a hit, wow. you know, considering the, the really bleak subject matter and garnered its star, uh, Jane Alexander, an Academy Award nomination for Best Actress. Deserves it. She's amazing in the movie. But man, oh man, you know, we talk about bleak movies on this show quite a bit, but this movie is bleak and a half. It is something else uh, because it really is like, you know, the first 30 minutes, typical suburbia, like you would see in a Steven Spielberg movie of the time, like an E.T. or something. Mom, dad, three kids, including the youngest, who is an absolute little baby, Lucas Haas, oh, um, like as cutie. a four or five year old. Um, um, well, Yes, he's cute, but then bombs go off, fallout happens, and um, children and old people just start dying, and their, goes, their parents have to start burying them, um, and it is... <laughs> Welcome whoo, to the early 80s, bleak, Blue Bear. Bleak, bleak, bleak. I mean, you obviously get what this movie's going for. It was the time, after all, of, of you know that Reagan-era Cold War heightening and... Um, the response from popular culture, as you just said, and any number of other things uh, with these anti-nuclear weaponry 
films. And and the interesting thing about this movie is that it takes a completely ground level view of the situation. You don't cut away from this small town. You don't really cut away from this family. So you never know who's you know who dropped the bombs, right? You never know who started it. You never see. Uh, a mushroom cloud. You never see scenes of devastation. It is just locked in to this, you know, this small town and you just see it just crumble in, in agonizing detail. The movie was directed by um, a filmmaker named Lynn Littman. Apparently she is or was a documentary filmmaker. Mm. This is one of her rare forays into uh, narrative filmmaking and it was made completely outside the Hollywood system, obviously. It was just it just happened to be released by this big studio who was impressed by it. Um, but it does stand out in having the touch of a female filmmaker and locking into the story of a mother who is, you know, powerless really to do anything to help her children in the face of this global catastrophe. Um, so it is it's a really good movie, but boy, do you have to be in the right mindset to watch it because whew, I mean dark, again dark, dark. it is so dark um, but yeah I was really impressed by it it's a movie that I had been wanting to see for a while I just saw it pop up on some streaming service and I thought what the hell which is probably not the that's a more cavalier attitude maybe right. than you ought to go into testament <laughs> with um, but but I ended up really really responding to it and um you know, there's something about um, the day after and and the legacy of these movies that that actually you know did inspire a measure of social change. You know, they say uh, Ronald Reagan saw the day after, and it did sort of depress him and change his thinking. And it is somewhat refreshing at this moment where obviously you and I have talked on the podcast a lot about the, you know, does, is cinema even a thing anymore? Is it just content? Uh, Do people like, are are people going to be, or does cinema even have the, the capacity to change people's hearts and minds anymore? Or are people just too scattered in their attention? Um, And it's really interesting to see examples of films that actually did have a tangible benefit that actually did change hearts and minds, including the hearts and minds of those, you know, it needed to reach. Um, so I find these movies really interesting. Um, I didn't, you know, live through that. So I don't, you know, come to these movies with the baggage of being emotionally scarred by them. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I know so many other um, folks slightly older than me who lived through the eighties and true cold war, like nuclear panic probably do. I mean, you just talked yourself I mean, about that nightmare fodder. Right. Absolute nightmare fodder. And, you know, the my parents' generation, I mean, they had the full-on duck and cover shit. The duck shit. and cover shit, yeah. So, you know, it's been, yeah, this is, it's been an interesting, you know, couple of generations right. there. Yeah, I remember as a kid being terrified by the scene in Terminator 2. Do you remember where Sarah Connor has the dream sequence and she goes to the playground and the yep. mushroom clouds erupt and she just, like, melts? That scene is terrifying yeah yeah and i saw it when i was way too young yeah. so that's th- like the vast majority of content that was put in my face as a child well that's was I mean, just the you know skin melting off of faces and it might happen tomorrow now yeah so so sleep tight i mean that is <laughs> that is the day after right that is like pretty much what that movie 
does for the duration. Look, Gen X is the fuck around and find out <laughs> generation for a reason, you know? Yeah, that you guys like, didn't have anything to lose. You grew up in the shadow. We cut our teeth on that shit. Yeah, exactly. That's that's funny. Yeah. So Testament, uh, I recommend it, but with reservations. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm watching something a little different. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and not a film, though. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I'm not, And I have only gotten to the first one of these, okay? So as, as you are probably very much aware, as most people are, especially in Birmingham, they did a real-world reunion recently. It's, a, I think, real-world New York homecoming yeah. or something like that is the name of it. But it takes the all the folks who were in the very first the pilot season of The Real World, an MTV production, and brings them all back together uh, during the pandemic. As a matter of fact, um, one of the character, one of the I call them characters. One of them, they even they even joke about that. One of the individuals who was part of this sort of real early reality TV experiment has COVID mm. and is therefore not able to stay in the house where they're where they are, the mm-hmm. loft where they are. So I've watched just the pilot episodes, about forty five minutes, and um, it's kind of a it's kind of a freaking mess. Mm-hmm. It starts out with that sort of very typical MTV editing and that kind of continues, but I don't really know that they are clear on where they're going with this thing. And it's a bit of, it's a bit of a dud. It's a bit, a bit dull, but, but I say that, and I also want to acknowledge a couple of things, which is first and foremost, that I, despite it being a bit of a mess and I'm not blaming on any of the folks who were participating in this, um, I kind of blame it just on on the sort of MTV approach at this thing, yeah. I think is the is the is the issue here. Uh, still entertaining to watch though, but despite all this, I had a very emotional reaction to this thing. So as as I mentioned, you know, being a Gen, Gen Xer, I'm a very similar age to the individuals right. that were on this in this reality TV experiment. Part of what you do learn in this in this pilot episode is that. They were they had no idea what they're getting themselves into. One individual's agent put her in, in in it because she was a musician, a rapper, and so she her agent was like, You should do this, they're gonna you know, you're gonna they're gonna put you up for free. It's a documentary about you and she's like, Okay. Everybody nobody had a real touch point for what reality TV was because even though, and they there's a, some self-importance happening in this thing too, a threat of self-importance where it's like, we were the first reality TV show ever. Not yeah. exactly no, true. No, that's not true. But they did bring about the current era of reality TV. Right. I mean, they were the ones that launched, that launched this sort of trend of reality TV that has really c- continued yeah, it's every, everything is more like the real world than it is like an American family or exactly. whatever, which would have been really the, 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 the original. Yeah. So, and I don't, the other thing is American family is, was a, what a PBS production. Yes, it am was. I correct? So, so it not was, on everybody's radar. Yeah. Public television. Right. It's very public. Right. Television. Very different approach, more of a Maisel brothers approach yes. than a MTV approach. And so I can see why they would feel like this was the first. And I certainly don't think anybody in that showed up to be on the show understood exactly what they were doing, that seems clear, or had any reference point for reality TV. So it is, in that sense, a very interesting outcome because they don't really get why they're there. And I would argue that some of the MTV producers that worked on that original series don't really know what they, why they were there either, what was happening exactly. Yeah. So it was a bit of an experiment. That part that part is interesting, but the, the emotional reaction I'm having, again, is this being of a similar age and they do one of the things that does work, they're trying a lot of different shit in this pilot episode, but one of the things that does work is this 
I would argue does work, is this sort of split screen deal where they show, oh, here's what a character looked like then, or here was the intro then, here they are now. So we're like, here they are getting out of the cab in the early 90s. Here they are getting out of the cab now. And that split screen is crazy because it has, you know, the things you forget about, like the twin towers are there, right? you know, the, in the newer footage, there's, everybody's wearing masks. It's just a very, what a surreal look at the world it is to put those, those images together. And there's a character who it won't, I keep saying character and I really need to stop doing that because these are, these are people, human beings that are not playing any kind of role other than what you might play if, if when you know a camera's on. Sure. Uh, one of which again, Julie from the real world is from Birmingham. So there is a nice little moment in Birmingham that includes her husband, Josh, who is, you may know from little donkey. He's a, what I would call for me, a uh, he's the chef at Little Donkey. No kidding. Yeah. And he he's a what I'll call like a close acquaintance, not a friend, but yeah. really nice guy. Cool. And so it it there's a sort of positive little look at Birmingham and at Julie's life now and Josh is in it and that's great. Um but there's a moment where Julie is showing was talking to her to her teenage daughter on the phone in one of the bedrooms and you know shows one of the one of the dudes who she lived with, you know, 30, 29 years ago sort of holds the phone up to him and he has just a moment where he's like, holy shit, like that's your daughter. I'm talking. And he says to her daughter, I knew your mom when she was a teenager and you know, we just saw each other for the first time 10 hours ago. And now I'm talking to you. It, it, it is, it has somehow does for me bring about this feeling of just innocent, innocent adolescence and it just goes by so damn fast. Yeah. It really life just goes by so damn fast. And that is a gut punch that I think this for me at least that this that, that this pilot episode kind of captured for me. And that is I mean I found myself tearing up a little bit, which is weird for to do on a MTV produced, <laughs> you know, don't really know what they're doing reality show. But I've heard a lot of people having a similar response to it. And I, I do think it's because, I mean, it's partially because the real world for, at, you know, at its height was such lightning in a bottle, right? right. Like, and it really did capture uh, a lot of people's attention and, and imagination. My wife and I were just talking about the real world because, you know, we're, we're little babies. Um, and I was never into MTV. I never really watched the real world. She did yeah. a good bit. And she was looking through, you know, past uh, stars of the of various seasons of the show, and just seeing all their faces, and just reminding herself of those people and and what their whole deal was. So, so there is something to, um, you know, the the power of that nostalgia. But but you're right. I mean, like th- there is a big contingent of folks who have been catching up on this reunion and really, really being like, oh my god, like. 30 years just who who could who can account for that it just zooms by it just zooms by and so that that reminder was was a bit of a gut punch and so i you know again here i am saying eh, it's all right there is some good stuff there there's some interesting stuff there but ultimately not a whole ton of media sure. that i randomly come across will produce an emotional reaction from me and this certainly did so well, this uh, is an interesting um, little preview, perhaps, of some of the things we'll be talking about in an upcoming segment for our Filmmaker Lightning Round, because the Indeed. filmmaker in question plays around with this himself. 
truth. Guess what? I know you're upset uh, right now, but so I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. Retractions. It's that time. This is my error. And it's not an error so much as it was <laughs> me not getting the movie in the last episode's What's This Shit segment. What's Ooh. Not not the time. Oh wow! <laughs> different oh, different buddy. segment. Oh, different wow. segment. So you got you could you didn't get anything really. I, I described this sort of ornate anything. door and light and McConaughey and this you know welcome to to. And you even I gave you me the nice year of the movie. And you got it wrong, dude. You you didn't get anything. You I got, got nothing. And you know what, Rachel? I saw this movie in theaters. It's terrible, but I saw it in theaters. Okay. And not only did I see this movie in theaters, it's based off of a series of books that I have read by Stephen fucking King, who we talk about on this podcast every goddamn week. This movie is The Dark Fucking Tower, where Matthew McConaughey plays the sorcerer Walter O'Dim in this mix and match adaptation of this great book series. And uh, Idris Elba stars as Roland Deshane, the titular gunslinger um, who <laughs> guides this young boy named Jake from his world, the world we inhabit, of course, to the land of Midworld, an alternate dimension where a dark tower, which is the nexus of all possible universes, around which all universes revolve, uh, stands, and Walter wants to team up with a dark being known as the Crimson King to bring down this tower and rule in the chaos that will ensue. So look... I know a thing or two about the Dark Tower, and I have to tell you, this movie's bad, but I'm disgusted with myself that I didn't get that movie. <laughs> I'm really, really having a hard time with this. What do you think I happened? Should, I, what, okay. <laughs> what I think happened is that movie um, uh, went uh, in one eye and out the other, or whatever the movie equivalent of that is. Yeah. I saw it. I was vaguely annoyed with it for 30 minutes. Or no, 90 minutes. It's not 30 minutes long. It's very short, though. Is it? I'm surprised. It is. I got a, like, 200-minute No, it's chopped to incoherence, and um. it's uh, it, you know, it takes little moments from all of the books and just puts it in a blender and is like, I don't know, maybe this is like a, something that people will enjoy. And it wasn't. And I forgot about that movie the day after I saw it. But I love those books. And I should have gotten this, and I'm real mad about it. You are, and 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 I have to say, the minute that we finished that episode of "What's the Shit," and and Sam pulled the film and and looked it up for us, you had a full on come apart. Sam I mean, was this- like, "Is it the Dark Tower?" And I was like, "Yes, yeah, the oh my god, it's the Dark Tower!" And I just started yelling and flipping tables and. You know, Boutwell's nice audio equipment. You know, took some broken into pieces. Took some shattered. some some uh, some hits, but uh, you know, we'll we'll make good. Don't worry, don't worry, Brad. We'll make well, good. I'm so glad or we Rachel cleared will. that retraction <laughs> up, and we all know what this film was, which was the Dark Tower. Don't watch it; it's not good. But read the books; they're good. Well, thank you so much for listening to Side Talks. We are your own personal cinematic Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. Oh my God! Oh my God! <laughs> I, I, you okay? You yeah. want to start? You want to start singing? Yeah, go. No, you go. 
Okay. Am I supposed to know a song from Hamilton? Is Don't you? Doesn't everybody? No. Uh, no. I'm not going to start singing. I know Walking on the Sunshine or something like that. I don't know. Wait, Walking on Sunshine? That's just a song by Katrina and the Waves, not from Hamilton. Yeah. Go ahead, sing a song from Hamilton. I'm walking on sunshine. Yeah, sing a song from Hamilton. No, everybody wants to hear you now sing um, a song from Hamilton. Well, now it. I have this performance anxiety. This is a song from Hamilton. I am singing a song. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Then that's a, That was pretty close. That's pretty good. Um, no, I'm not going to start singing Hamilton. But um, virtually every single student I've ever taught could probably recite the soundtrack from memory. Yeah, I have not. I'm not familiar with even one song. I'm just guessing that it's. This is a song from Hamilton. It's a really this good is show. A show. You know how people say that Hamilton is like a really good show. Uh huh. It's. It turns out they're right. Oh. Yeah, it's really good. Oh, cool. Anyway. Thanks to Boutwell Studios. And uh, check us out on social media at Sidewalk Film on this Twitter, is a podcast, Facebook, this is a podcast, and Instagram. Um, <laughs> it's a musical podcast. It's really not. Um, like Hamilton, just like the play Sidewalkfest.com <laughs> is where you can um, find all gets the angry when he doesn't get sidewalk, things right. Uh, information you require, including cinema showtimes. Cinema showtimes. You watch the movies. They're like plays, but better. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. We don't have time to get into that. This is an outro. This is an outro. Movies are better than plays. Okay. Bye. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.